All right, uh, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37. Zach read the opening passage there, and we'll take, kind of take off from that story. Um, I suppose if you have been in any, especially Sunday school class for, for young people, the coat of many colors is one of those stories that's going to stick in your mind, right? That's one of the stories we hear over and over and over and over and over. And uh, I have been studying this passage, and I shared last week, when you start looking at narrative passages like this, or in other words, where they're telling the story, uh, it's a little trickier for somebody who's used to preaching a a passage in the New Testament for the concept that comes in there, you kind of have to change your mindset and how it comes. Because instead of maybe seeing a specific thing, one thing that you might pull out of that, that this passage is about, what you find in the story is that there's all kinds of factors that you can pull out and emphasize. And, and one of the things I, I saw this past week in, in, in studying this and ways different people have approached it is you look at the first 11 verses and you see, uh, you know, this is not how you want to treat one another, right? Do, one, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? That's, that's the concept. That's what Jesus tells us to do in the Gospels. That's the golden rule. Well, Joseph, well, and really Jacob weren't really living up to that. If you look at the whole story, Jacob being the father, and we see that Jacob is the you know, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as we see the, the prayers that go through all those things and the stories that go along the way. Why does it stop at Jacob? It's because it stops at Jacob because Jacob all of a sudden breaks this cycle of one or two kids and he goes to 13. And we're going to, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob rolls off the tongue easier than Simeon and Levi and Reuben and blah, 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 blah. All right, so you keep adding on to it. But for the remainder of the book of Genesis, and we obviously are starting in the middle, but for the remainder of the book of Genesis, while we saw the creation account in the first several chapters, and you see Abraham, and then you see Isaac, and a whole lot of Jacob, we see now that it moves to, to two primary characters in the lead, and one really more than the other. We see Joseph and we see Judah. Judah we will look at next week, and I, I cover your prayers for that one because that story, and, and Zach and I were talking about that story, that story can be qualified at minimum PG-13. Perhaps R. All right, so uh, your prayers are appreciated as I uh, figure out what to do. But I think that's an important, well, it's there for a reason. Let's put it that way. It's in the midst of this account of Joseph for a reason. But now we see how they kind of get to that place. Jacob uh, had led his family away from his, father, his father-in-law's land back into the promised land from Haran into Haran. And as he's crossing the river, uh, he, he starts wrestling with somebody in the middle of the night. And he wrestles him all night long, and he ends up getting his hip injured. And he says he walks with a limp, and there's prophecy that's fulfilled with that, and reasons that Jews eat certain things and certain... Anyway, it's, it, you know, there's lots of stuff there. But in the midst of that, we see Jacob's name changed from the deceiver to the one who contends with God. And that happens in chapter 32. Then in chapter 35, we see that as they re-enter the promised land, that people he loves the most 
he loses. His father dies. His mother dies. His, his chosen wife dies in childbirth. Joseph was the firstborn of Rachel. And then she bore one more son named Benjamin. And she dies in childbirth with Benjamin. And so Joseph, I'm sorry, Jacob now, Israel, has this, uh, this family with uh, multiple wives and a whole bunch of kids. 13, 12 sons and one daughter. And there's other things involved in the story and, and reasons that certain uh, sons are blessed that would become the tribes of Israel. And then you see that it kind of narrows in on this character, Joseph, who is the firstborn of Rachel, the wife he loved. And Joseph is his favorite son, and he's also one of the youngest of them. He and Benjamin would be the youngest out of all of them. The rest of the children were born before them. Jacob shows favor to Joseph in more than one way in this first section of the, the Scripture. It says he was 17 years old. Now, his brothers were probably in the range of 10 to 20 years older than him. As you look at all of the different uh, ways the time flushes out. He spends 20 years working for his father-in-law before they depart Haran and return to the promised land. And Joseph is 17 years old, and he is the favored one. And there's a couple of the reasons that we can see that. First of all, they were um, the, the sons were sent away to pasture the flocks while Jacob stayed, I'm sorry, Joseph stayed at home. I think I got a map up there of, of the different parts of the land. You may not be able to see it very well, but I, I'm trying. Um, there we go. It's really small. But uh, the orange path is where you see down at the bottom of the, uh, at the right, you see the town of Hebron. Uh, Hebron is an, an important city in the Old Testament. It's also where King David has his throne when he first comes to the, rule the people of Israel, the tribe of Judah. But it's an important area, and it's where Jacob and his family have settled at the moment, but they send the flocks away to find the food. And Jacob sends the flocks away with the older sons, and he tells Joseph to go find them. And Joseph, then, is shown as a child of preference in the midst of that. How do we know? Because he's the one who gets the cool coats. He is the one who holds rank in his father's eyes. He is the most important, and he is told to go check on them. Now, I don't know how many of you know a 17-year-old or have been a 17-year-old, but when you sometimes give somebody who's younger a measure of authority that they've never had before, especially in their family, what can happen? little bit of rivalry, sibling rivalries going on. So Jacob sends Joseph off, and he goes up to Shechem, which is about where the, the trail bends there, and he goes and looks for him, and he can't find him. So we're going to go pick up in verse 12 there. It says, uh, and uh, it should be on the screen, but I encourage you to read along in your own scriptures, chapter 37, verse 12. Now his brothers went to pasture for their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send, them, send you to them. And he said to him, here I am. So he said to him, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. Now, remember, this is following these prophecies. 
what were the prophecies? First one was that the, the, he was the 12, the 12 sheaves. There was one and 11 would bow to him. And then it would be the sun, the moon, and the stars. And the sun and the moon bowed and the other stars bowed down to this one. And they're not too pleased about it. Nobody is very pleased about it, including dad. But he thinks about these things. He ponders them in verses 10 and 11. He thinks about this stuff. And it's the same kind of idea of the things that were said regarding the Christ child with Mary at his birth. All of these things that were said about Jesus, what does it say that she did? She pondered them in her heart. It's the same kind of thing. Jacob hears these prophecies, and that's really what they are. This you know, conceited little teenager comes and shares this, these stories, and he says, what do you think they mean? And, you know, I had a feeling that it was a little awkward at the dinner table that night. So now Joseph is, sending, is sent to check on them. He sent them from the Valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. It's a good journey. And a man found him wandering the fields, and the man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where are they pasturing the flock? The man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. So they've wandered off, and it's not like they had a text message where they could send them and tell them, or you know, they didn't have the GPS to point out where they had been. You know, that you find that thing, you can follow your kids on their phones, right? Can't do that 3,500 years ago. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. There they were, up further north. So they're a decent distance from home. They're a two or three days journey. Now, in our, in our time today, again, you would get in your car and you'd probably drive it in an hour. But they're walking. They're on camels. They're on donkeys. They're, they're following the, the sheep. And they would see that they have been out there working. And meanwhile, this kid is back home with dad. Living it up. Joseph now thinks he's important. That he is the one who has been sent to check on his brothers. So he comes in and they spot him from a ways away. Have you ever seen a picture of the promised land of, of, of Israel? It looks a lot like southern Colorado. It's pretty brown. What do we know about Jacob's coat? I'm sorry, Joseph's coat. I'm going to do that the whole time. I'm sorry. What do we know about Joseph's coat? Quite colorful. It might have been sparkly. And when you see it coming and you see the mirage on the, on the horizon and all of a sudden you see these colors pop up and, and the sun reflecting off the stones that are in it, guess what the brothers realize? Little brothers come in to check on them, and this is their chance. If you think that the Bible is, all, is full of perfect people who always did everything right, we are reading the right book for you. Because they, they hatch a plan. Now, to put them in place here, remember that Reuben is the oldest. He is the, actually the firstborn. In the rank of the family, he holds some measure of authority simply because he was around first. He has lived more of a life. They saw him from afar in verse 18, and, therefore, and before he came to them, they conspired against him to kill him. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think I ever thought about killing my brother. We never had that kind of relationship. 
And I hope you haven't either with your siblings. I know that some of you come from big families. I know that there can be strife and, and, and discouragement. But this family had some issues. They wanted to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And they will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. We're sick and tired of this little punk. And this is our chance. They would dig these and cut, or more than dig, they would cut these, these cisterns, these pits, in order to catch water. How often does it rain in southern Colorado? Right now, we can tell, not a lot. So they would, they would, in that land, they would only get rain seasonally. And they would catch the water in these cisterns. And they could be deep. They could be as much as 20 feet deep. Now, I know that I'm not a very good climber. And so if you tossed me in there, I'd be there a long time. Right? I'd need some help getting, getting out. So they're thinking, we're going to throw him in a pit. We'll never see him again. But when Reuben heard it, the firstborn... He rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him. Just leave him there. Let him die there, but don't kill him. Really, what's the difference? Yeah, I know. Anyway. Um, it wasn't, wasn't as gory, right? Not as big a mess to clean up. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, okay, that he might rescue them out of their hand and restore him to his fa- their father. So, when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and they threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Now, stone pit, designed to hold water. There was no water. How do you think it felt when Joseph landed? It doesn't say they dropped him. It says they threw him. <laughs> Ouch. Okay. What's going through his mind? Panic. What am I going to do? He's probably thinking, how dare you do this to me? I'm the chosen one, chosen child to some degree. And then he sits there a while longer and he gets a different pity party and, and he says, please let me out and this and that. And so, yeah, they have all of these different things that are happening. And you also have different attitudes from among the brothers, Right. Reuben said, don't bloody him up, just throw him in there. We're going to find out now that other brothers had different ideas too. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh, and on their way to carry it down to Egypt. So, Ishmaelites, think about what that name means. They were distant cousins. You had Abraham had two sons, one son of promise, one not, Isaac and Ishmael. Ishmael was sent away, and he was sent away further into the desert. And so these guys, they, they went into these lands, and they called them Midianites later, and um, these, these are descendants of their grandfather, great-grandfather, great-grandfather, but they are not among the same worldview. They are, uh, they are traitors, and not traitors, but traitors. They, uh, they, they, they really have no concern except their own financial gain. They will take whatever they can get their hands on, 
and they will sell it, including humans. Here. Then Judah, sorry, then they saw the Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. You know, that's better. Right? Well, it does work out a little better. And let, our not, let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to them. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they, they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. It was the common price and in history. I was reading some of the different things, even on the Code of Hammurabi, I think it was, that that was the common price for a slave, 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. Now, Reuben had disappeared. He'd gone off to do something else. And he comes back. Reuben returns to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit. He tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the the robe in the, the blood. They sent the robe of many colors, and they sent the robe of many colors, and brought it to their father, and said, "We have, this we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not." Now, 35, 3700 BC, they didn't have DNA testing. They didn't know that it was a goat's blood versus human blood, or let alone even Joseph's blood. They they come up with this scheme. They they realize they've done something wrong. They've got to figure out what happened, how how to deal with what has happened. So they make up a story. Have you ever heard a good story? Maybe from one of your children? And you go, I don't think that's exactly how it happened. You see, these men, they're adults, realize that they, they, they can only give dad part of this story. So what do they do? They bring the coat. They say, is this your son's coat? Not their brother's coat. Is this your son's coat? We're not claiming this guy. Is this who it belongs to? And, they, and he identified it, that is Jacob, and said, it is my son's robe. And then he finishes the story in his own mind. They let dad come up with his own story. Now, it's a, story, it's a good story for their sake. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned his son for many days. Now, they could not have helped but realize that that was going to happen. They knew that their dad loved this brother more than he loved them. And that, you know, there were prescribed times for grief and, and mourning and that, he would, not, uh, he would not go without it. But he says all his sons and his, all his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol, that's the place of death, to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Years and years and years. This is the posture that Jacob keeps. I wonder, you know, we have some of the in-between, but we know that 
Jacob grieved for Joseph. Joseph was the son of his preferred wife. He was his firstborn from that wife. And we find out later that he then moves his affections to Benjamin. Didn't change much for the brothers, guys. The only difference was that the guy with the coat was gone. Now think about Joseph. He had been in the pit. He'd been left to die, and then he gets sold as a slave. That's not how this trip started, right? He started as daddy's favorite, wearing the coat of rank, that he had the preferential treatment of the father. He held the authority of dad. And all of a sudden, he was sold as a slave to the lost cousins of the day. And then they take him to Egypt, which Egypt was the world power of the time, and, and they sold him again. He was sold in Egypt to Potiphar. Remember that name, it'll come back. An officer of Pharaoh the captain of the guard. So we see all of these different things happen. This is a lot of backstory, really, and we, we get caught up in this because there's a lot of beautiful imagery with the code and the pit and all the different things that happen along the way. But we must realize that God's sovereign hand has been on this the whole time. And it may not seem that way in the midst of the time and the trials and the troubles. But God has chosen Abraham and then Isaac, and then Jacob. And we see now that Jacob's family has some issues. And that they are going to deal with some significant problems in the days and years ahead, decades ahead. God is setting it in place that his people now, not just his person, Abraham or Isaac or Jacob, but his people, Israel, will have their needs met. But in the midst of it, we have all of this strife, and we have grief, and we have anger, and we have hatred, and we have deceit, and we have, uh, you know, well, there's all kinds of deceit going on here <laughs> on all parts. And, and we see that um, God's promise, though, is a fulfillment in a very strange way. And it goes back to these dreams. First, in, in verse 7, Behold, we are binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed to my sheaf. And then he goes down to verse 9. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. Can you use your imagination for that? What? How would all of those bow to one? I don't know, but Joseph saw it, right? And now he's a slave. Now it seems like all of these things he dreamed are never going to come to pass, and he was really just an arrogant little brat. But God had a plan. God had a plan to work through sinful people to fulfill his promise. And part of his promise was that the people would need rescue. And so what we find in the coming days, in the coming passages here, 
is that God's plan was at work all along the way. Now, we see that this kind of works itself out with Christ as well. Well, it does, even more so. (laughs) We see that the disciples, the 12 disciples, thought that Jesus was supposed to do a certain thing, a certain way. But God had a different plan. And that plan was the cross. And he sends Christ to the cross. Who He dies. He's dead and buried. And then he rises. Nobody expects any of those things to happen. Even though, as they say later, he told us it was going to happen all along. But it was beyond their human comprehension that it could happen. And the same kinds of things are happening here. Think about Joseph being the one who is now enslaved. His life is dramatically different in a matter of a few hours. How's it all going to work out? And we have all been there. Something unexpected happens, and things change dramatically very quickly. And maybe think of in passages that were referred to along the way, passages probably a lot of us know very well, maybe you don't. But we see that God, has, His plan all along is to work through His people for His glory. In Romans chapter 8, there, we could read the whole thing, but we've been here a while now already. In verse 17, it says, If we're children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we also may glorify, be glorified with Him. Romans 8, 8 17. We suffer with Christ so that then we might share in His glory. Romans 8 is all all about the glory, the future, the prophesied glory of Christ and how that is at work in our lives. And ultimately what we see happen here is that while we don't understand everything that's going on in the life of Joseph, especially if you haven't read ahead yet, we're going to see that God's hand is in it all along and that He does not abandon His children. Verse 8.28 says, you probably have heard this a couple of times, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. That's a very select group. That's for those who have placed their trust in Him. If we are heirs of the promise, as Joseph and his brothers were. He works out those things for his glory. And so this passage, this Genesis 37, this Romans 8, what we really see ultimately work out is a picture of God's sovereignty. What does sovereign mean? It means he's the, over, he's the, the one who is over all things. We see that God reigns above all thrones, above all principalities, and it all works together for His good and His glory. And in our human little minds, that doesn't make sense until we see what He has done for us in Jesus Christ. Because He knew that we needed redemption in order to understand His will. That there would be a price paid for our sins. And so Joseph, in this way, is a a type of Christ in the Old Testament. He is sold into slavery, leading ultimately to the rescue of his people. And now we see as we suffer, 
We are called into the sufferings of Christ because Christ suffered that we might find life in His name. So we trust Him. God works through all things as we... Well, He works through all things, period. It works a lot better for us when we trust in Him. God is always at work. The matter is whether or not we trust Him. And when I get to Romans 8, I can't not read the last three verses. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It all returns to God's faithful promise. And this day, as we looked in Joseph's time, they didn't yet see the fulfillment. And we're going to look at a little bit of that, how that works itself out next week as we look at the story of Judah. Because that's the tribe where Jesus comes from. He doesn't come from Joseph. He comes from Judah. We see that God works out all of these things to His glory. So friends, if you're trying to figure out what's going on in your life, and I have to tell myself these things too sometimes, a lot of times, every day, we need to put our lives in the shadow of the cross and realize that these things happen that we might show our trust in Him because He alone is the one who's faithful. God is faithful. God brings rescue to His people. God, it may not seem that way in the midst of the trials and the troubles, but ultimately it comes fulfilled and it offers us salvation. It offers us rescue. And that Rescue is found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We see God work through this promise of, for Joseph's life, and we see God fulfill that in Christ for our lives. He alone is the one who is worthy of our praise because He offers us salvation when we place our trust in Him. And He may not have known it along the way, but Joseph was in the hand of God the whole time. And his arrogant little attitude and his pretty coats when he got thrown in the pit when he was sold as a slave. God was with him the whole time. But it changed his heart. The trials that we endure in our lives draw us to that place of humility where we can really truly trust God. So today you're probably facing something that is discouraging you in your life? Will you give it to God? Will you trust Him with it as we see His testimony of history and salvation? The God who rescues a nation has rescued humanity and now offers that as a gift to you. What's important about a gift? You have to receive it. Will you receive that salvation that God offers you today through the love of Jesus Christ displayed throughout His Word and fulfilled on the cross and through His resurrection? Let's pray. Lord, You are good to us. I'm humbled by Your Word. I'm humbled by Your, uh, your generosity and Your grace. 
and knowing that I'll never be worthy except by what Christ has done. And we are called saints because you have saved us. Lord, I pray today that you, um, you encourage our hearts and our lives to bless your name. That you would guide us to follow you in each moment. And whatever trial we're enduring, that we would, we would look for your faithful hand on our lives. Help us to trust you in Jesus' name today. Let's stand together and worship the Lord. The altar's open if you need to give something to Jesus. He's calling you today to radical obedience and trust in Him.